If you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Daniel chapter number 12. Daniel chapter 12. This is the, the last chapter of the book of Daniel. And it's a short one. So Lord willing, this will be our final final week in Daniel. I'm not entirely certain where I'm going next week. We'll find out. But uh, with what we've seen in Daniel so far, we started out the first uh, six chapters uh, in Sunday school looking at uh, the historical section of Daniel where it talked about uh, him and the three Hebrews and uh, the Jews down in Babylon and the, the situations that was going on there. We saw him being faithful to God even in a... Uh, a pagan land, and even amongst all the uh, godlessness and the wickedness that he was surrounded by, uh, he still uh, purposed in his heart he wouldn't defile himself. And that was as a young man, and we see his uh, his consistency throughout his life, that even uh, as he grew older and as times went by, he still was serving God, still following God, still faithful to God. And through that, God was able to use him. And so, even though he was a, uh, even though he was a captive in a foreign land, uh, he did not allow that to uh, determine who he was going to be and what he was going to be in his life. Instead, he chose to uh, live by godly principles. He he chose to be faithful. He chose to do what was right, even whenever everybody else was doing wrong. And as a result of that, God worked in and through him. Uh, and even though he was in captivity, he became uh, one of the advisors to several of the most powerful men in the world at that time. And so he was uh, promoted during that time and was able to uh, influence the decisions and the direction of the way the governments was going, even in a pagan land. And we can compare that with us today as we live in uh, a world that tries to push God out of everything and tries not to acknowledge him and is becoming more and more pagan. We can still be a light in the darkness and not allow the, uh, uh, the darkness to snuff out our light. And so that, Daniel's an example in that. But as he was faithful to God and living for God, while he was there in Babylon, uh, God gave him several visions. And so we've been in Wednesday night for the past several weeks, we've been looking at these different visions and these prophecies that God has given Daniel. And uh, through those prophecies, God really uh, unfolded the, way, the course of world history before it happened to Daniel. He gave him a sneak preview of what was going to happen in the world. So uh, I'm going to see what you all remember. <laughs> And who can tell me one of the visions that God gave Daniel? Okay, so the the four different beasts, right? There was the one that was uh, lion-like, one that was like a leopard, one was like a bear, one that was like a goat or a, a ram. Goat, I believe it was. And then one that was a beast that he couldn't, didn't really have a description for. It was made of multiple different things, right? 
And so, do you remember what those animals stood for? What they represented? Okay. So, four of the major kingdoms, five of the major kingdoms, if you count the last one. And so, God revealed through Daniel the empires of time. So, uh, starting with the the lion-like one, that would have been uh, Babylon. And then the... Uh, uh, let me see if I remember. Then the bear would have been Medo-Persia Empire. Then the, uh, the leopard would have been... Uh, Greece. Oh, the bear was wrong. The goat was Medo-Persian. I get my animals mixed up. But anyway, through that, he was revealing uh, to Daniel and ultimately to us uh, the way the world empires were going to unfold and the characteristics of them. And so we can look back on this historically now and see that just as God had showed Daniel, there would be these uh, four world empires. The fifth one, uh, is still yet. It's whenever Christ rules and reigns in the millennium. And so it shows us a little bit about their their characteristics, what they were going to be like, how they were going to come into power. And those came to pass. Uh, we saw that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's vision, I asked about Daniel's, right? Nebuchadnezzar's vision in Daniel chapter number two was the, the vision of the statue, the vision of the the image, right? You had the head of gold and the, the shoulders and chest of silver and the loins of uh, bronze and then the legs and the feet of uh, of iron, right? And so it was still, it was the same picture of the kingdoms that were going to unfold down throughout time. But with that picture, it was an illustration from man's perspective, seeing them in their beauty, their outward strength and their power and their glory. But the beast that Daniel saw was showing from God's point of view how animal-like and how ravenous they were going to end up being as they went about conquering and destroying and taking over. And so Daniel saw these visions. He also saw a couple more visions. Want to remember? Okay, there was the ram and the goat, which was... Uh, showing the transition of power from the east to the west. And one was Persia, and the other was Greece, right? Mm -hmm. And so Persia was the east. Greece was part of Europe. It was part of the west. And so he showed the, the transition of power between continents, basically. And the seat of power was going to shift during that time. And ever since then, uh, the west has held the the seat of power for the most part on the world stage, right? And so he showed him that. Uh, another vision he showed him was the prophecies of all of the kingdoms that was going to come about in uh, Daniel chapter number 11. We've been looking at those recently. <coughs> what? Did I forget one? Okay. Uh, so... We were looking at how history was going to unfold. And so not only did God show Daniel uh, what these kings were going to be like, what they were going to look like, how they were going to come in power, how they were going to tra transition, how long they were going to be there. Uh, he also said during the transitional period, during uh, maybe I should say the intertestamental period, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, after Daniel's time, uh, God gave to Daniel an outline, an overview of 
who all was going to rule and how it was going to affect Israel. Okay, And so all of this has uh, centered around Israel and how it affects Israel because God is concerned about his people and Daniel was concerned about his people, right? And so in chapter number 11, we see a... Uh, I said it was one of the most uh, prophecy-filled chapters in the Bible, one of the most uh, uh, specific chapters in the Bible. And so he told about king after king after king and how the uh, the king of the north, the Syrians, were going to fight with the kings of the south, the Egyptians, after Alexander the Great's kingdom uh, basically was divided up amongst his four generals, and two of them were going to be the main players on the stage with Israel, Egypt, and Syria, and how they were going to go back and forth, back and forth, and basically use Israel as a doormat. Okay? And so that's what we see in Daniel chapter number 11, Israel being used as a doormat and the, these countries going back and forth, taking armies back and forth across Israel, looting Israel as they go through, uh, kind of uh, playing tug of war sometimes with them because sometimes Israel was under the power of Syria, sometimes it was under the power of Egypt. And so there was a lot of back and forth with Israel. And what we saw last week was that uh, that was going to come to the point in time where a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, which was a Syrian ruler, was going to um, go and provoke Rome, and he wasn't going to be able to pick on Egypt anymore. And so he's going to turn all of his hatred and all of his ire toward Israel, and he's going to destroy Israel, and he's going to desecrate the temple and put up idols in the temple and all of these things happening. And history tells us that actually did happen. And that even though he did have that power and he was that cruel and wicked and crazy, that God still was in control and he still had his people. And that a small group within Israel rose up true to God and God empowered them to be able to uh, basically run the Syrians out of town, run them out of uh, Jerusalem and rededicate the temple, cleanse it, all those things, and return back to worship of God and refocus the people back on the worship of God. And so we see that happening with Antiochus Epiphanes and then the Maccabean revolt and the rededication of the temple. We said that uh, they, the Jews still celebrate that event to this day in the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah. Okay, And that was prophesied in Daniel hundreds of years before it ever happened. And now, thousands of years after it happened, they're still celebrating the event that was prophesied. Okay? And so as we look through all of these things, we said that the prophecies that are in Scripture and the way that we can see how they were fulfilled and we can look and lay history over the prophecies and see that God truly did inspire it, He truly did put it together, it gives us uh, a reassurance. It gives us a... Uh, a greater faith in God's word and God's plan and his power and his abilities because ultimately he's in control. Even whenever uh, it looks like the wicked is prospering, that God is still on the throne and he is still in charge. And that is one of the main messages that we get from the book of Daniel is that uh, all of these things are tracing the movements of pagan, pagan nations, pagan rulers and kingdoms, Men who are wicked, and it seems as if 
Uh, Satan is in charge and Satan's in control. But then we see as we go along that God is ultimately orchestrating these things and that he is uh, keeping them within check. It's not that God is making them happen, but he allows them to happen in order to work together for his purposes because we know that he is able to work all things together for good, even the things that appear to be evil. And so we see that going on in Scripture. And uh, just something as I was studying and preparing for this, if you think about the basically the war between good and evil from the very beginning, whenever God created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden, it says that God gave Adam dominion, right? He gave him control. He gave him power. And whenever he was deceived by Satan... He gave up that power. He gave up that control. Actually, it says that he wasn't deceived, that Eve was deceived, but Adam was the one that had dominion, and he willingly went against God and did that which the devil had uh, tempted him to do, right? And in that time, we find that man lost his dominion, and that Satan from that time has become the prince of this world, right? He has taken that place that Adam was supposed to have had, that's why this world needs to be redeemed. That's why one day there's going to be a battle that takes place in the Valley of Megiddo, in the one that we call Armageddon, where Christ will come back and take back from Satan what Adam had lost. We look whenever Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, uh, Satan offered up Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world. And I've heard people say, oh, he was, he's always a liar. He was offering something that wasn't his to offer. He was offering up something that was his to offer because he is the prince of this world. And so he told Jesus, basically, I know one of these days you're supposed to be the king and you're supposed to rule and reign. But for right now, it's my dominion. It's my domain. But if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give it to you now. We'll skip the mess of the cross. We'll skip all these things. And you can have this world back. I cheated Adam out of it. Now I will give it to you if you'll just bow down to me. Right, And so we see this going back and forth. And so you wonder why the world is in the condition that it's in. And we find that it's because it's in Satan's control. Right? And that he is the prince of this world. And so what God has done with Israel, as we're studying this here, is that out of all of the people in this world, uh, it wasn't very long after the very beginning that men did only that which was evil continually. Right? God did... God wiped him out with a flood, right? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God was bringing out a people that would be faithful to himself in a world that was faithful to the devil. Then Abraham, he revealed himself to Abraham and created a, or not created, but raised up a holy generation, a people separated to himself in the middle of a lost world. And even then, Satan tried his best to corrupt. And whenever Jesus came, they rejected him because they wanted to be ruled by the prince of this world, basically. And so to this day, whenever we think about salvation, we, we talk about uh, the need of forgiveness from our sins. But ultimately what we're doing is we are accepting uh, Jesus' rule. We are accepting him instead of the ways of this world, right? We are, uh, at the moment of salvation, we are signing up under a different army, if you will. We are changing our citizenship from this world to heaven. And so that is one of the reasons why I believe 
that salvation is a decision that we make to trust in him. It is a decision that we make to forsake the God of this world and to choose Christ as our God. Okay? Now it is through the whole thing of salvation with the, the need of the forgiveness of our sins and uh, being born again. But you see all these things working together uh, through these themes within Scripture. And so as we're getting in Daniel here, uh, we're talking about where all of this culminates at the very end. That's where we've gotten to. And so where we left off last week was at the end of chapter number 11, the shift goes from Antiochus Epiphanes to the Antichrist. Because Antiochus was a historical figure. He was a very depraved individual. He was empowered by Satan. He thoroughly hated the Jews. And he attacked not just the Jews, but he attacked the God of the Jews by desecrating the temple and doing away with the sacrifices and doing away with temple worship. Okay? But there is a transition that takes place in verse 35, and it talks about the time of the end. And that signifies that we have skipped past Antiochus Epiphanes, and we have gotten down to the time of the tribulation, the time of the end. Okay? And from verse 35 onward, we are seeing a description of the Antichrist. And it says that he's going to do according to his will. He's going to exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished for that is for that that is determined shall be done. We see there in verse number 36. And so this description down through the end of chapter number 11 is showing us the beginning of the Antichrist reign. And we find with bringing Daniel, uh, he talked about his uh, uh, 70 weeks. Remember we're talking about 70 weeks? 70 weeks of years. And that uh, from, from the time that the, the uh, command for the temple to be rebuilt until the time that the Messiah was cut off was going to be 69 weeks or 69 uh, groups of seven years, okay? And so that brought us right down to the very week that Jesus was crucified, okay? And then there's a separation before the 70th week. And so the 70th week, a week of years, seven years, will be the tribulation period. And there was a gap. It was separated from the rest of it. And that is the period of time that we're in is that gap between the 69th and the 70th week. And those 69 weeks centered around God's dealing with his people, with Israel. And so for a time, God is not dealing with Israel. He is dealing through the church. And so whenever the church is taken out of the way, he's going to turn his focus back to Israel. Whenever the rapture happens, the church will leave, and God is going to refocus on Israel, and he is going to allow circumstances and world events to transpire to bring his people, his holy people, Israel, back to himself. The first time Jesus came, they rejected him as Messiah. But in that 70th week, in the last seven years, because of the things that God allows to transpire, they are going to turn to him. They are going to be prepared. And whenever Jesus comes back in the clouds and sets his feet down on the top of the Mount of Olives, as the Bible tells us, they will accept him then as their Messiah. Okay? So that's the importance of that last 70, or that 70th week that last seven years, the tribulation that we're talking about, because the Antichrist, a man of power, authority, of military might, 
one that is like they were looking for the first time. Whenever he comes, they're going to say, wait, that's not who we are looking for. We need the Messiah that came and we crucified. Okay? And so that's where we're right in the middle of here uh, in between chapter 11 and chapter 12 is right in the middle of this tribulation period, this seven years of trouble on this earth as God is dealing with the Jews to bring him back to himself. We read about it in Revelation. We've, we've studied that in the past. And in Revelation, it, is, uh, it, it shows a lot of um, uh, imagery of beasts and locusts and uh, earth opening up and stuff falling from the skies and all kinds of things going on and uh, pale horses and vials and bulls. But all of those things are going into that seven-year period, and it's talking about uh, destruction and oppression and warfare and problems going on during that time that God is using to turn Israel back to himself, okay? And we're going to be looking at this a little bit more here in just a minute, but something that I want to bring out in all of this is I want to bring us back to Daniel, okay? Not the book, the person. So in Daniel and his life, he's been faithful to God all of his life. He's up in his, probably his late 80s by now. He's an old man, served God all his life, and God has throughout his lifetime shown him these uh, these visions, given him these prophecies, this information. And all of this stuff, imagine it being dumped on you, how heavy this would be to process. Because he is seeing this struggle for superiority, the warfare and the deception and the depravity of mankind as kingdom versus kingdom, as wars and rumors of wars are going about in the lands, and he's seeing this happen, and he's seeing them uh, stomp all over Israel as a doormat here, and he's seeing his people suffer. Not only that, but on top of just the regular back and forth of war, every now and then there is someone who is incredibly anti-Semitic that pops up that comes against Israel and treats them horribly and destroys them, and these things would be difficult for Daniel to listen to and to try to uh, process, okay? Think about if you were being told about all of the wars and the fighting and all the problems that were going to go on for the next thousand years, and that was just unloaded on you, and you're like, oh, man, I was hoping things was going to get better, right? Isn't that what we're hoping for in this world today is for things to get better? People are looking for solutions to the world's problems. They're trying to solve world hunger. They're trying to uh, end war. There's been this fight for peace in the Middle East for my entire life and your all's too, right? And so this has continued to, to go on. The girls I was talking this morning, whenever World War I came along, what was the original name of it? You're cheating. You were in the conversation. Whenever World War I first came along, they called it the war to end all wars. Right? They were being optimistic. They said, okay, this is going to be the last war. But if you look back over the past hundred years, since the war to end all wars, there hasn't been a year that's went by that there wasn't war. That war has been constant. And so we are optimistic that we can fix this, that we can fix that. We're looking for a politician. We're looking for some invention or some discovery or some diplomat, someone, somewhere, something that can fix all of these problems and make the world a better place. 
and we're optimistic as we look at this. We've got these ideas for solving global warming and we're going to stop climate change and we're going to, right? And so they have the idea that we're going to fix these problems. And what Daniel has just been dealt here is saying, okay, you may be optimistic. The Jews are looking for the Messiah to come and for him to rule and to reign, for the Jews to be on top and for all of this fighting and this violence to be put down. But that's not going to happen. For a long, long time, Daniel. Oh, man. And so the Jews were looking for any time, that one that was promised, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of him. And Daniel's had it revealed that he's going to be cut off. That they're going to reject him. Whoops. Right? They're looking to leave Babylon build back up Jerusalem for them to get their freedom once again, for them to ascend back to the top like they were under David and under Solomon. But God has just revealed to Daniel that they are going to constantly be in the middle of battles between Syria and Egypt, that Babylon and then Persia and then Greece and then Rome is going to take them over. that there's going to be wicked people like uh, Antiochus Epiphanes that is going to desecrate the place and make a mockery of them, and then also the Antichrist at the end. And so Daniel has had all of these things dropped on him. And so we come to the end of the book of Daniel, and what God does in this chapter is he brings all these things together, and then he comforts Daniel. Because we can endure a lot if we know the end. The old saying says, I read the back of the book and we win, right? We read in another place where it says, weeping may endure for the night, but you want to remember the rest of it? Joy comes in the morning, right? And so as Daniel is processing this, as he's burdened down and heavy as an old prophet here, looking and saying, there's nothing but trouble on the horizon, God. What hope do I have? Why shouldn't I be depressed? Why shouldn't I be discouraged? And God says, let me just show you how I'm going to wrap it all up. It may not be in your lifetime. There may be a lot of wickedness that happens between here and there, but you can rest assured that God's got it fully within his control. People to this day still scoff and they still mock and say, oh, Christians have been talking about the Lord's coming for years. Yeah, they have been. They've been looking for it since Daniel's time. But God told Daniel it's going to be a while, right? But we can rest assured, just as sure as all these prophecies have been fulfilled, that the other ones will be fulfilled. And so with all that, we need to get into our passage here. This is our conclusion, okay? We're wrapping it all up. So as I said, at the end of chapter number 11, we were in the middle of the tribulation period, okay? The first half of the tribulation is the Antichrist amassing power. He's going to come out of nowhere. He's going to be uh, the political genius that solves the world problems. He's going to be thrust on the stage. He's going to 
uh, be gaining and increasing in power. When he gets to a place of great power, he's going to start putting down any opposition to himself. He's going to use these places that he destroys and these nations that he uh, defeats. He's going to use their wealth and their resources to finance him. And then it says in uh, verse number 45 of chapter 11, and he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And so whenever he gets to this place that he has ascended in power and authority and he has become essentially the ruler of the world, he is going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. That's what it's talking about here in the in between the seas and the glorious holy mountain. And so where the temple used to be during the tribulation, he is going to set up his throne there and he is going to demand to be worshipped. And it's about that time that the Jews are going to see problems on the horizon and they're going to have to flee. And so it said at the end of verse number 45, yet he shall come to his end and none shall help him. So even though he comes in, he sets up his throne there. That's not permanent, Daniel. I'm just giving you a little, little bit of a breather here just to let you know, because I know you're getting worried about this, Daniel. Uh, it's not going to end well for him. He's going to be destroyed. No one's going to help him. And then as we get into chapter number 12, we're going to find out how his end's going to come. Okay? So that was kind of like a little bit of a reprieve for Daniel at the end of chapter 11, a sneak preview at the end just to calm down Daniel's anxieties, I believe. Okay? So chapter 12 and verse number 1 says, And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. So here we have uh, the archangel Michael, and he is given power and authority over the nation of Israel. He is Israel's protector. He is the angel in charge of that area, okay? So God has an angel dedicated to that place, and that leads me to think that he has an angel dedicated to lots of places, right? And so he is telling Daniel here, God has his men on the ground. He has his people ready. He has someone here to defend Israel. Yes, the Antichrist is moving in. He's trying to take over, but God has his men there too. And so the Antichrist is going to be on the ground and going to be seen. Michael won't be seen. He's going to be kind of veiled a little bit, okay? And the reason I say this is you think back in the Old Testament, and I bring this up frequently, you think back in the Old Testament, whenever Elisha had his servant, his servant was scared, and Elisha wasn't. Elisha prays and says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And he saw all the hosts of heaven uh, in the mountains ready to uh, come and attack. And so the world is going to see the armies gathered, but they're not going to see Michael also there fighting, right? So you have a physical enemy and a invisible ally. And so at that time shall Michael stand up and the great prince which standeth for the children of uh, thy people and there shall be a time of trouble such as was never such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time and at that time thy people shall be delivered every one that shall be found written in the book. And so here we find that there's going to be a time of great uh, persecution, a time of great trouble of tribulation. So during that seven-year tribulation, 
there is a period of three and a half years that we call the Great Tribulation. Okay? And the Bible calls it in Jeremiah, I forget which chapter, uh, the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay? And so whenever the Antichrist ascends up in power to a place, he, he started out that tribulation period with signing a peace treaty with Israel. But whenever he gets this place of power, he breaks the peace treaty, he tears it up, and he turns against the people of Israel. He begins to persecute Israel, and it says that the persecution he's coming against Israel is going to be un anything, or unlike anything Israel has ever seen. It's going to make the Holocaust and Hitler look tame when the Antichrist turns against Israel. But we've already seen that Michael is there, and it says that, uh, that thy people, that Israel, will be delivered, even everyone uh, that shall be found written in the book. So God is keeping record. God is keeping track of the ones who are his. We find in the New Testament, he says that he is the good shepherd and he knows his sheep, right? And so all of those that are found written in the book are going to be protected. We find in other passages of scripture that uh, they are led by Michael to the city of Petra, which is a great defensed valley, and they're going to be hidden there for a time. Uh, back over in... Um, Chapter 11 and verse number 41 says, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. That is the region that you find Petra in. And so they are going to be preserved. They are not going to be overtaken by the Antichrist because that's where God is hiding his people. He is protecting his people. We find in Revelation that before destruction takes place, that he sends his angel to seal his people. And they take a seal on their forehead and they're, they're to be protected. They're to not be harmed during this time of tribulation. And so as all these things are unfolding, God is revealing to Daniel, I've got my angels there watching over them. I know who belongs to me. I'm going to watch over them. I'm going to protect them. So that's reassuring for Daniel, isn't it? It should be reassuring for God's people as well because God knows who belongs to him and he will protect his own. I also like the picture whenever it talks about uh, everyone that is found written in the book because in Old Testament times, every city would have a book. Okay? And this would be a ledger. It would be almost like a census. It would be a record of everyone who belonged to that city. Births would be recorded, deaths would be recorded, and so the the city would have a book of everyone who was part of them, right? And so likewise, when we start looking at uh, the names being written in the book, whenever someone is born, we talk about names being written in the book, right? And it's talking about our citizen, citizenship, where we belong to. And so he says, all those who belong to me, all of those that are citizens of my kingdom, I know them, I'm going to seal them, I'm going to protect them. And so in that we see God's wrath, but in that wrath he protects his people. In verse number two, we see that there is a resurrection. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth uh, shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so in the Old Testament, 
we don't find a real fully developed idea of the resurrection. Okay. Uh, we know that David talked about whenever his child died, he says, uh, he, he won't come back to me, but I can go unto him. So he knew that there was some sort of an afterlife. Job talked about that after my flesh dies and the worms eat my, my corpse, basically, I shall see God. Okay, so he said, I know there's going to be a life after this one. David said, I knew there was going to be life later. The psalmist talks about uh, uh, a new life and a resurrection as well, but it's not fully developed like we see in the New Testament with heaven and hell and uh, the different judgments and different things like that. But here we have Daniel uh, has it revealed to him that both those who are uh, who are gods and those who are not gods. Uh, this is Old Testament, so I'm being careful I say this, but in a New Testament idea of it would be all those who are saved and those who are lost. Okay? And so it says, those who sleep, so those who are dead, uh, sleep in the dusty earth, they shall awake, resurrection. And it says that there is going to be some to everlasting life, eternal life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Notice that both of these say that it is everlasting. So for those who think that all of those who are cast into hell, uh, they are just burned up and that's the end of them, those who teach annihilationism, the Bible says that uh, the punishment is just as eternal as the reward. Right? And so he's telling Daniel here that at the end of the tribulation, after everything is done, after the Antichrist is defeated, that those who are... Uh, those who belong to God, those who are saved, are going to be resurrected. In verse number three, we're going to find the rewards of those who are resurrected. Okay, But in verse number two, they're going to be resurrected unto new life, unto eternal life. And so as Daniel is looking down throughout time, he's saying fighting, battles, bloodshed, warfare, all of these things going on. But in eternity, all of those things are extremely brief compared to eternity. The Bible says that our life is but a vapor, appears for a short time and vanishes away. Now, the ages and time from Daniel up until now might seem a little bit more than a vapor, right? But when contained with, or not contained, but when compared to all of the thousands and millions of years that are in eternity, which is timeless, they're just a drop in the bucket, Right? And so he's giving Daniel some perspective, and he's saying, yes, there's going to be these guys that are going to murder the Jews. There's going to be these guys who are wicked and who are horrible, but those ones that they have murdered, those ones that they have killed, are going to live again. And God's going to raise them up to everlasting life. He knows the ones that belongs to him. And it says in verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And so this is talking about the rewards of those who, uh, who belong to God. There is going to be a judgment that happens, and we find those uh, talked about in different places more in detail. But the judgment is going to see people rewarded for the work that they have done for God. This isn't uh, working for their salvation, but after they belong to God, God rewards those who serve him. And not only does he reward them according to their works, he records them or excuse me, he rewards them much greater than their works deserve. 
because God doesn't give you just minimum wage, okay? But he rewards us richly. And so as we see here in verse number three, they that be wise, who's wise? Well, if we want to compare, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Fool's off is a wisdom, right? Those who be wise, those who have trusted God, those who have served him, right? Those that are his. And it says that they're going to shine as the firmament. But it says, they who turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. So somehow in this, we don't know what the rewards are going to be. We don't know what God has devised. But he does tell us here that there is going to be uh, greater rewards for those who have served him faithfully. I think Daniel's going to shine a little bit brighter than what we do. We're speaking for my own behalf anyway. But... All of God's people are going to be rewarded. All of them are going to shine. All of them, maybe not necessarily literally, but it may be figurative language here, but it's talking about the rewards of those who are resurrected. But it says that those who are not wise, those who do not know him, are going to be resurrected to uh, shame and everlasting contempt. So that's what we call hell. Everlasting punishment. And so we see here that there is wrath, but God protects his people through the wrath. There is a resurrection, and after the resurrection, there is a reward. It says that God's going to record every, or reward every man according to his deeds. And so we come down to verses 4 through 9, and there's a little bit of a conversation that happens back and forth. Because we've taken care of the Antichrist, we've gotten beyond him, we've seen the resurrection of the, the just, uh, and the rewards that they have at the beginning of the uh, the excuse me the beginning of the millennium thousand year reign of Christ and they will rule and reign with him. We find in the New Testament that it talks about those who have uh, been faithful and few things will be or in many things will be uh, given power over greater things, right? Greater rewards and talks about how we are going to rule and reign with Christ. Okay. And so he's going to resurrect these people to uh, rule and to reign with him. They are going to be rewarded according to their works. And then at the end of that thousand years, we're going to have the final battle, the final showdown, and then you're going to have the judgment of the lost. And all of the lost are going to be judged for every, uh, every idle word, every wicked deed, every sin that they've committed, and then they are going to be uh, they are going to hear the words, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. They're going to be cast into everlasting, what does it say here in verse uh, verse 2? No. Verse 3, shame and everlasting contempt. That is verse 2. And so all of those things are going to be sorted out. And Daniel's still sitting here trying to process all of this. Because he doesn't have the benefit of the book of Revelation, uh, of Zechariah's writings, of some of the other prophets that we have. And so he's still scratching his head trying to figure out how all this works together. And so in verse 4, I'll go ahead and read 4 through 9. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, 
and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how long shall it be to the end of the end of these wonders? So Daniel's sitting here just taking in this vision. An angel on either side of the river, Jesus over top of the river here, clothed in white, and they're calling out to him and they're saying, how long is this going to be? And so verse seven, and I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven. So he's holding up his hands. He's making a, uh, a vow, if you will. And swear by him that liveth forever and ever, it shall be for a time and times and half and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall the end of the what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And so at the beginning of what I read in verse four and the end of what I read in verse nine, it talked about uh, his words, his writings being finished and being sealed up until the time of the end. There's going to be a period of time, Daniel, an unknown period of time, one that I'm not going to let you in on right now, that is going to transpire between now and the end. And during that time, much of these things are going to be hidden. Much of these things are going to be unknown and not understood. But it says that at the time of the end, that they are going to understand them. Okay? And so it does say in the middle of this, in verse number seven, that whenever the Lord there that's standing there in the white and whatnot, he raised his hands and he swore, and he said that it would be for a time and times and a half. So a time is one, times is two, and a half would be a half, right? So one plus two plus a half, three and a half years. That's the last half of the tribulation. That is the great tribulation. That is the amount of time that is going to last. And it says, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, the holy people is Israel, and he is the Antichrist. So he's going to have three and a half years to scatter the Israelites all over the place, to break their power, break their authority, to uh, basically destroy the people of God during that time. They're going to be hiding in hills and rocks and caves and uh, in forests and everywhere they can, trying to hide from the Antichrist during that time. And whenever he has accomplished what God is allowing him to do, his time will end, and that'll come at the end of that three and a half years. At the end of the seven years of tribulation, in verse number nine, he tells him that the words are closed up, they are sealed to the end times. Verse 10, it says, many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And so throughout this entire time up until then, the wicked will continue being wicked. Don't expect anything different. Evil men do what evil men do. But also during that time, God's people are going to be cleansed, are going to be purged, are going to be purified, are going to be tried. 
And so this is what we've seen happen down through the ages, through the persecutions, through all of the, the martyrdom and all of the different campaigns against uh, Christianity and against God's people, is that it has had a purging and a purifying effect. The time of the tribulation will definitely have a purging and a purifying effect upon the people of Israel, okay? And so Daniel's getting a bit of perspective because he's looking at it and saying, man, it's a lot of trouble. It's a lot of horrible things going on. And God says the wicked are going to continue doing what the wicked do, and they are not going to be any the wiser. They're not going to gain any knowledge or any understanding, but God's people are going to increase in knowledge. They're going to increase in understanding. They are going to increase in purity and in holiness. He is going to cause the troubles and the trials of this life to purify and to purge his people. And so even in the hardships, even in the difficulties, God has a plan, and God is doing something great. And so whenever people say, well, if God is so good, why does he allow bad things to happen to good people? We're seeing that played out here, that God is allowing his people to be purged, to be purified, and to be brought near to him. Even Paul himself said, uh, or, yeah, Paul himself said, whenever I am weak, he is made strong, right? We've been looking in Sunday, uh, John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase, right? And this is what's going on here. And so the people of Israel through this persecution are being pushed back to God. They're being drawn back to God. They're being purified and sifted as wheat from chaff. And so in verse number 11, he gives a little bit more clarity. He says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Okay? So he gives a specific amount of days, right? That is three and a half years plus 30 days. Three and a half years is 1260. And so it says, from the time that the Antichrist sets up himself as a god in the temple, from the time that the abomination of desolation takes place, the worship of God is done away with, the worship of the Antichrist is instituted. From that, he's got 1,290 days. And so we have the three and a half years, 1,260. Now we have 1,290. What happens in that last 30 days? The Bible doesn't tell us. The Antichrist is cut off there at the end of 1,260 days. And then the next 30 days, trying to bring back together the people he scattered possibly. Then we get another time period here. Verse number 12, blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. So now in addition to that 30 days, we have another 45 days. So 75 days after the 350 years, after the three and a half years, sorry. Have I lost anyone yet? No. Okay, so tribulation period, seven years, starts with a peace treaty. Peace treaties broke halfway through. Then the Antichrist releases hell on earth for the Jews for the last three and a half years. And at the end of three and a half years, the Antichrist is cut off. There'll be armies that are coming from the, uh, from the east to meet up with the Antichrist and his armies. And then Jesus is going to appear in the clouds. And those two armies, instead of opposing each other, are going to turn to oppose Jesus. And we're going to be coming back with him. Well, it says he's going to be returning with the saints. 
And so they're going to turn against him. He is going to slay them with the words of his mouth. He's going to destroy all of them. And the Antichrist and Satan and the false prophet are going to be bound up. They're going to be cast into bottomless pit. Okay, that's at the end of that 1260 days. Now at 1290, another 30 days. And then at 1335, so 75 days after the Antichrist has been defeated, been destroyed, it says, blessed is he that waiteth. That's where the blessing comes at 75 days after the defeat of the Antichrist. So what's that 75 days for? That's the days that there's a transition between the devil's defeat and Christ sitting on his throne, right? Where he calls all of the nations together, where the Jews come out of their hiding, where uh, all of these people are destroyed. There's going to be cleanup. There's going to be all these things going on. And Jesus is going to sit, and at that 1375th day, you're going to have Jesus ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. You're going to have him setting up his millennium kingdom upon this earth and ruling for a thousand years. It's a time where it talks about the lion laying down with the lamb, the child playing on the den of the snake and not being harmed, beating their their uh, spears into plowshares, no weapons, no warfare, and there'll be a time of perfect peace for a thousand years while he rolls and reigns. A literal millennium that we find there. And so that's where we get to at the end of this. And that's where it says, blessed is he, happy is he, that comes to that period of time. Because Jesus has resurrected those who are, uh, are his. Some of them have come through the tribulation period and lived through that. Some of them have been resurrected because they didn't live through it. And they're going to go into the millennial kingdom and they are going to see him on his throne and they're going to see the earth being what it was intended to be originally. It'll be as living in the Garden of Eden on this earth. Okay? And that's how it's all going to end up at. And so he's reassuring Daniel. He's telling him, the wicked may be seeming like they're in control. They may be having their way right now. They may be harming God's people for right now. But God is going to win out in the end of this. And he is going to judge those who have done wickedly. He is going to reward those who have been faithful. And he is going to set everything right and good and holy and just in the end. Verse number 13, it says, But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in, the, in thy lot at the end of the days. So for the weary prophet in his old age, close to time for his grave, basically God just tells him, don't worry about things. Don't worry about how things are going. Don't worry about understanding all of these things. But know that I'm in control. And so he says, go thy way. Daniel, just go do your thing for right now because you're going to have rest. And during this time, Daniel has his rest, right? He has peace from his suffering, his sorrows, and all those things. But it says that in the end, he is going to stand up in those last days, and he is going to see these things take place. Daniel may have been dead for 2,500 years now, but one day he's going to stand, and he's going to see Jesus ruling in that kingdom. 
So he says, just wait. I've got it under control. I've got it figured out. And so for us in this, we see that there is great reassurance and great peace because God has already planned it out. He's already programmed it. Doesn't matter what Putin does. Doesn't matter what's going on in Ukraine. Doesn't matter how many tyrants and dictators there are, how corrupt governments are. Doesn't matter what a religion is doing and how corrupt it ends up becoming. That God still has a time frame. He still has a plan. He still has a way of working all of these things together. And it will happen in his time. Evil is not in control. Satan may be the prince of this world, but he is a very powerless prince. He doesn't have much power, only what God allows. And God works all of the evil, all of the wicked that he is trying to accomplish together into his plan, into his purpose, for the good of those who love him. So with all of that being stated, does anyone have any, any questions or comments, anything to add this evening? Yeah, one question in that, and that's 70 weeks. Mm -hmm. I heard you mention that there the, the, the is an lapse between mm -hmm. that 70 weeks, and uh, it's when Christ dealing with, with, with church, which is mm -hmm. as we live in. The three now. of them, yeah. Yes. But uh, I don't know if I have to go back because I was not here last week. Maybe I missed it out somewhere. But was that mentioned that there going to be an, 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 an time lapsing when Jesus had to deal with, with, with church to Daniel? Uh, in Daniel chapter number 9, mm. verse number 26. Okay, well, if we go to verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command uh, to restore and build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks, so 69 weeks, okay? Mm -hmm. The street shall be built again, even the wall, even in troublous times. And after uh, threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off. So the first seven weeks was the rebuilding, and then from the time that it was rebuilt to the Messiah being cut off when Jesus was crucified yeah. would be 62 weeks. And so he'd be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince that shall come, the prince that shall come is the Antichrist, so he's not there yet. Mm. So his people, the Romans, uh, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So we're already seeing here that the Antichrist isn't there yet. It's the one that shall come, the one that's still future, okay? Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war and desolations are determined. And so it tells us here that there is a or there is a uh, an intervening time unto, until that time, until the end, until that 70th week, war and desolations are determined. And then we come to verse 27, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. 
So there's an intervening time of trouble in the in the world where there's uh, war and desolations and troubles and trials that we've seen over the past 2,000 years. And then that 70th week starts with the uh, covenant that the Antichrist signs. Mm. And so until he signs that, anti, that that covenant, the 70th week hasn't started yet. So there's an intervening period. So is that... Okay. The, so in the Old Testament, you don't have the... Like some prophecy that you have the church. You know, it's not revealed in the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah, the, the New Testament tells us that the church is a mystery. It was something that was hidden in the Old Testament. It was something that they didn't see. And so whenever they were looking, uh, they could see Jesus' first coming and his second coming, okay? I saw it illustrated as if uh, these are two mountain peaks. And so you have his first coming and the second coming. And the Jews are here, and they're looking, and they're seeing first coming and second coming. They're not seeing the time in between. And that's where the, my question came in. In times of Old Testament, there wasn't church involvement. Mm -hmm. in, but now we see there's a, a time lapsing mm -hmm. to allow uh, Christ dealing with church, which is now. Mm -hmm. So the question for me was, okay, I guess the why have to be there. Why that God didn't reveal to Daniels or other prophets that they're going to be this time lapsing for Christ to deal with church. Well, it would have to be speculation on our part because we don't know why God does what he does. That's, that's another question. That would be question, speculation. Question, yeah. But one reason that I believe that it was is that the current period that we're in is a time of judgment upon Israel. Okay. Because it talked about how, um, for one, that Abraham and his seed was going to be a blessing to all nations. all nations. And somehow it was going to include all nations in it. But anyway, uh, whenever they rejected the Messiah, mm -hmm. he presented himself, he says, here I am your Messiah. They said, we don't want you. We'll not have you to rule over us, okay? Mm -hmm. And so they rejected him. And so for a time, he has set them aside. He hasn't rejected them. He hasn't gotten rid of them. He hasn't said, forget you. He hasn't replaced them. But he has set them aside. And so we read in the New Testament about how uh, he's cut off the branches and he has grafted in the Gentiles, okay, into his blessings and whatnot. But he has set them aside for a time. And then whenever the this time period is done, the church is completed, whenever it is finished, then he is going to call his bride away. He's going to call the church away. And then he's going to once again deal with the Jews in the time of the tribulation. And then the millennial kingdom is going to be him ruling and reigning from Jerusalem, fulfilling the promises that he made in the Old Testament, that there would be a literal throne and that it would endure forever and that uh, a seed of David was going to set on that throne and that all of the nations were going to come to them. That will happen in the millennium. That hasn't happened yet. So there's a lot of prophecies that God has made to the, the Jews that are still yet to be fulfilled. So he's not done with them. But he said, okay, you've rejected me for this time, so I'll just, I'll set you up on the shelf for just a little bit, and I'll work. And I'm going to, he talks about provoking them to jealousy with the Gentiles. And so for now, he is dealing with the Gentiles, and it's all part of his way of bringing the Jews back to himself anyway.
And so it makes it a little bit hard for us to, to figure out. But God God has He has a plan. He has a way that He's doing. And He's working at things on a global scale that transcends any generation. It goes throughout from the beginning of time to the end of time, encompassing all the world. And He puts it all together to bring about His purpose and His plan of drawing to Himself the ones who will have Him, basically. takes place, Christians are gone. That leaves the lost, the unbelieving Jews. They are there. Uh, we know that God is going to send two witnesses preaching on the streets of Israel. They'll be seen by all. We know there's going to be 144,000 Jewish witnesses and that there are going to be multitudes from all nations that are going to be saved during the period of the tribulation. Many of them are going to be martyred. Many of them are going to be killed. Uh, all of those who stand with uh, the Antichrist and with Satan are going to be killed at the Battle of Armageddon. They're going to be done away with. All of his people are going to be destroyed. And so only those who believe during the tribulation period and where it talks about in chapter number 12 here, uh, many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. So the ones that survive the tribulation, the ones that are martyred during the tribulation period or die in other ways, and also a lot of people will say the Old Testament saints would be resurrected at that time to go into the time of the uh, uh, the millennium. And so some of them would be there to um, some of them would be there to populate the kingdom, some of them would be there ruling and reigning with Jesus. Okay? And not going into the millennium. But during the millennium, you will have a thousand years of human beings. And during that time, we find out, with looking at other scriptures, we find out that there's going to be many people, uh, even though all of them entering the millennium are saved, uh, all the ones that are born during the millennium still haven't had a chance. Satan and his emissaries are bound in the pit for a thousand years. And so it says that he'll be loosed for a little time so that he is able to uh, basically give... All of them a choice, whether they're going to serve God or they're going to follow Satan. And many of them are still going to follow Satan and have one last hurrah against God at the end. And then he'll put them all away. Uh, there'll be final judgments. Uh, everyone will go to their uh, eternal designation. And there will be a new heaven, a new earth. Uh, death and hell will be cast in the lake of fire. All those things at the end of the millennium. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Armageddon. What is it? Where is Armageddon? 
Armageddon is uh, the mountain of Megiddo. That's what Armageddon means. And Megiddo is a, uh, a mountain, in a, well, two mountains, valley, uh, just outside of Jerusalem. Uh, and it is the place really where uh, Africa, Asia, and Europe all meet together. And so there's been many battles that have taken place there. It is a natural, um, a natural battleground, I guess. It is a natural meeting place for those nations, and so that's where that final battle is going to take place. How will all people get there? Well, for one thing, we find in the Bible that it says that that the uh, river, the Euphrates, I believe it is, that separates the east from the west. It's going to dry up just before that time to make way for the armies of the east to come across. And they'll come across on dry ground on a river that's dried up. What is it? Maybe. She's joking about she's global warming is going to cause it to dry up. But they're going to come across and the river is going to drop before them. And so that barrier is going to be taken away. And they're going to march right in with their armies. And they're all going to be coming on that battlefield and as I said, the, the ones from the east are going to meet the ones from the west and the Antichrist army. And just as they're getting ready to battle, Christ is going to come and they're going to turn from each other and turn to him to fight against him and he's going to destroy them all. <laughs> okay. So as we've looked through Daniel, we've seen a lot of prophecies, a lot of ones that's already been fulfilled. And uh, with the number of prophecies that's already been fulfilled, we know that the ones that are yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Now, as we're looking at some of the future ones, um, they're not, we can't say with as much certainty or as much detail as the ones that's already been fulfilled. Some of those things are still left to the future. In the part that I kind of skimmed through there as Daniel and the the different guys were having their little conversation with each other, it says that uh, some of these things are going to be sealed up, they're going to be hidden until the end. And whenever it comes time for them to know, they're going to understand it. God's going to reveal it to them as is, uh, as is necessary. I will say that just in the past maybe 100 years, has been really the first time in history that man has really taken a real interest in uh, in times events mm -hmm. and in prophecy. Because for many years, uh, they didn't really pay that much attention to it. They looked at Daniel and some of these things as being uh, hidden, as being shrouded in darkness and not having understanding. And it seems as if in the past several years, there's been an increase in knowledge, increase in understanding of God's word in dealing with end times events. Whenever it talks about uh, in verse four, many running to and fro and knowledge being increased. When it talks about many running to and fro and knowledge being increased, a lot of people equate that with uh, the increase in travel and in speed that we see today, as well as the increase in knowledge as far as uh, technological advancements and all these things. But we also find, and I believe this is where this applies because of context, it's knowledge about God and about the things of God is going to be increased mm -hmm. in the last days. 
part of that is because of technological advances and travel advances and all these different, different things, it has caused there to be an explosion of information even included about the Word of God, about the things of God. Yeah, yeah because could you imagine, I, I have access online to so many different resources to study out these things and to figure out these things that if you were 500 years ago, you'd have to find a book somewhere. You would have to buy a book, check a book out, and there wasn't the ability of... And so with the knowledge and the travel, all these things increasing, knowledge about the things of God's increasing. Knowledge about his prophecies, about the end times are increasing. People are gaining uh, interest in these things. And so we can sit here and we can discuss it and say, these things are unfolding and the end times are just before us because there's promise in the word of God and promise to Daniel that even though he didn't understand it then, when it came time, God would open up the understanding of those who were his. Okay. Well, we better wrap it up so you all can go home and go to bed. But uh, thank you for your time and your attention tonight. Let's go ahead and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. If you want to discuss any more, we can afterward. I just don't want to hold you hostage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your blessings. And we thank you so much for all that you do for us, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, uh, for the things that we see in it. I pray that I've been able to uh, to explain these things clearly, that, that your people can see them, Lord. I pray that... Uh, uh, it, it'll increase our, our understanding. It'll increase our uh, faith and our trust in your will and your way and your power and your word. And Lord, we just pray, ask you that you would uh, be with us, Lord, as uh, oftentimes things seem uh, complicated and out of control and uh, sometimes just absolutely wicked, Lord. But we see that uh, even in the darkest of times that still you're working all things out and that you have a plan and that in the end we win. And Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to the time that we can be with you. But until then, help us, Lord, just to rest in this hope. We thank you so much for all that you do. And all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.